the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want to welcome you to our Monday edition of Lifeline. Glad to have you with us on this very, very precarious, challenging, and difficult time. June 1st, 2020, a day we will probably never forget. We will always remember this day because we are encompassed about by a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties, just a lot of problems. Again, welcome to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Most of you know, a few minutes ago, we received a notice to curfew at 8 p.m. Also, the National Guards have been called up. That would include my daughter and son-in-law and two deacons in our church, apparently due to anticipating problems here in the Bay Area. Uh, secondly, I, you know, I'm outside a few hours ago, uh, and I, I'm, I'm observing a, a block and a half of young people who are prepared to uh, do a, a, a Black Lives Matter protest, apparently students of Castro Valley, um, and these are people uh, who look far, far, far from anything that would be perceived as a Black Lives Matter group. So um, that's just uh, just uh, just a bizarre thing. I don't I don't know uh, what 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 is the point of protesting, um, especially if the city ends up drawing attention to itself or attracting violence and looting and crime, as we've had in Oakland and as we've had in Hayward. What is the the point of protesting? Um, matters that we have now been engaged in for several years relative to uh, to to the issue of, of, of blacks and white. What is the, the point when we have only seen that the outcome of protests has been vandalism and looting and violence and crime and all of the things that we know don't bring about justice, that don't bring about healing, that does not bring about reconciliation, that does not bring about clarity on what we are really struggling with here in our nation and around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, in a real way, Rome is still burning metaphorically, and things will not get better with blue or red uh, politics. In my opinion, and I've been watching it for decades, as you know, uh, politics never seems to solve the problems of evil and hatred in our world. Now, we can talk about it, and we should talk about it. My number is one 367 5329 one 367 5329 
3675329. You're welcome to engage me on uh, a very sensitive uh, matter, a very painful matter. We um, have recently saw a series of of killings and uh, murders and travesties of justice. Uh, George Floyd happens to be the recent, recent one, the most recent one, which has led to the protests and the civil meltdowns across our uh, country. Multiple states have experienced, um, again, the civil unrest, the civil breakdown, the civil anger, looting, burning, and all of those types of things that... You know, I warned our congregation about that in one of the sermons I preached yesterday uh, about, again, just thinking that it's okay to vent your frustration and vent your anger in a political way as we see it taking place so frequently in our nation. What, what, what really is going on is, is bigger than... Uh, uh, just the, 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 the lapse of wisdom, the lapse of judgment, the lapse of moral and ethical propriety on the part of our uh, law enforcement, that is a problem. It should be rectified. It should be dealt with. We hope that it will. But uh, There's a whole lot more going on with our country than that. The psalmist makes it very clear. The nation that forgets God will be turned into hell and when the psalmist laid that out, it was talking about departing from God's law, departing from God's standard, from, from God's precepts, from God's word. And, 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 and there is no real substantial and lasting answer to the breakdown of moral consciousness, the breakdown of moral uh, rational thought, the breakdown to uh, uh, civil discourse and civil dialogue. Uh, there is no real solution to that kind of breakdown apart from a radical commitment to spiritual things. You, you can be mad, and that's okay. You can be frustrated, but if you don't, if you don't have a solution that works, then we're going to continue grinding at an axe that never ever proves itself to serve useful in bringing about any kind of unity, any kind of clarity, any kind of correction, any kind of uh, commitment to growth on the part on the part of uh, of our society. It's just a sad, sad reality. Um, one of the questions I'll be raising, and you can you can act you know you can answer that when you call one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. So so what should one do with their righteous indignation if you have it? How should you channel the pain of recent events that are? inexorably connected to past events that just don't seem to have the ability to put away what is a glaring central conflict and problem in our society, and that is um, uh, authority over common citizenry, abuse of authority over common citizenry, whites and blacks at the center stage of conflict in our country yet again. Um, and uh, how how do we respond? And this is the way I'm framing it. How do we respond in a real redemptive way to produce good fruit out of these situations in conversations and, and, and dialogues uh, 
How do we respond in a real redemptive way to produce good fruit versus perpetuating the false narrative that we keep getting stuck in, in the failed narrative? It's a false and failed narrative that it all begins and ends with mere conflict between whites and blacks. Uh, and the false narrative that all whites and all blacks can't get along. That's just not true. There are a lot of frustrated Caucasians and there are a lot of frustrated black people who get along absolutely well all over the world as well as in America. But the narrative coming out of your media, I can tell you, they salivate at perpetuating this hostility. Uh, what is certainly true is that with the cameras on us, we, we cannot avoid the, the reality of what's going on. And I actually appreciate it. I appreciate the fact that at present, I'm not sure if this is going to last forever, uh, that with freedom of speech and the technology of using, utilizing cell phones, we can catch people in criminal behavioral acts such as what happened to Mr. George uh, uh, Floyd, and we'll talk more about him throughout the program because he has a history of a relationship with the gospel that you probably won't hear in the media, and uh, it would be good for you to know. Uh, and, and therefore, um, it wasn't just a, a secular issue here of another black man being being killed. For those of us in the Christian community, you can be sure that uh, that Mr. George was not just kind of living his life in a wasteful fashion and then just becomes the victim, uh, again, of chance and matter. He has a legacy and a history of participation in gospel ministry in uh, the Third Ward uh, of Houston. And anybody knows the Third Ward of Houston know you're dealing with a difficult, difficult country uh, area of the country in Houston. It is heavily African-American, poor historically, and yet the gospel is there and richly testified to. And, uh, and George Floyd was a part of that. So we have another one of the lambs of God slain in the streets of America in this time in Minnesota, for which I know they are grieving and sorrowful and sad as well. So if you want to kind of get at it, start having a conversation. Let me see here. We've got uh, three lines open, one 367 Three lines open, one 367 If you want to engage me in uh, the topic of where we are right now with, um, with curfew. Can you believe that? We're about to enter into curfew. Uh, the National Guards will be on the streets. Uh, they're anticipating people acting foolish again. And my question is, is it justifiable? Is it, is it justifiable? Is it redemptive? Does it profit for people to take and squander and destroy and pillage other people's property? Uh, in the name of, of righteous indignation or frustration. Love to hear from you. And, and is, this, is this even within the parameters of a Christian expression of behavior for something so painful and evilly expressed as what we have seen over the last two or three days and two or three weeks, quite frankly, with other, uh, other uh, travesties of justice being uh, exercised upon uh, American citizens, particularly African American citizens. Again, the number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. What are the solutions? 
What are the redemptive solutions? What can we do as we talk about it, exhale and express ourselves on this matter? We've got an hour and 30 minutes to do it. Glad to be with you. We had a little glitch in our opening uh, program, so I, I want you to jump on in. We've got three lines open, one 888 I'm going to take a break, and we're going to continue to press into these matters biblically, redemptively, uh, theologically, historically, and uh, whatever other way we can have a good, healthy, God-centered, God-exalting conversation around these things. And if you've got God in your conversation, we can talk about these things together rationally and biblically. Again, this is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Giston. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time is 542 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got two lines open, one 888 1-888-367-5329. Basically, I'm asking the question, uh, you know, we're all talking. There are going to be a lot of people talking. That's what we do in the world, um, fortunately or unfortunately. And I'm asking, since we're going to talk about it, since we need to express ourselves, and if there is righteous indignation, how can we do it with a solution-oriented mindset or agenda or intentionality? Uh, What is a more redemptive way of dealing with these matters than the old ancient, basically, in my opinion, I'm sorry, it's kind of a socially bankrupt model of just merely protesting. I, I get it. Our amendment allows us to do that, freedom of speech, freedom to assemble, freedom to vent our concerns. But given our country's basic overall diet of politics and, and worldviews and, and, and ideologies, just the nature of how our, our people think today, uh, quite frankly— And a lot of people didn't like the fact that the president said it, but he got it right. If you're going to loot, there's going to be shooting. And that's sad and it's tragic because, in other words, what it proves is that there's a pathology, a pattern that is followed by people who get out in the streets. That they can't just walk down the street, uh, have the advantage of the media sticking a microphone in their face so that they can talk to the world and then kind of just have a dialogue and then uh, go home or, or press our, our leadership, you know, uh, challenge our leadership, challenge them for for uh, justice, challenge them for righteousness or whatever the case may be. But no, it almost always inevitably turns towards you got to tear something up. You got to destroy something. You got to vandalize something. You got to wreak havoc. And it never, ever resolves the original travesty of justice anywhere. It only destroys communities and it only creates more intrinsic hostility and enmity towards people who are watching. So, you believers out there who listen to this program, if you're listening today, Give me a call, one 367 and tell me, what is the redemptive solution? What is the righteous approach to solving the problem of the gradual deconstruction, devolution of our nation, because we're looking bad as a nation all around the world every time these things occur? What's your answer to it? Two lines open, one 367 Let me go to line number one and talk with Jermaine from Alameda. Jermaine, are you there? Oh, yes, I am. 
Hey, Jermaine, what's going on? What's your thoughts about what we're talking about today? Well, it's kind of like being in a movie. Uh, You know, I find it ironic you're teaching on the book of Revelations. I think it's it's more relevant than any time right now. Mm -hmm. But I, uh, you know, of course, I was disgusted by the act that occurred that that kind of lit all of this off. But I'm equally disgusted by how some people are reacting because the protesting peacefully is one thing, but the violence and, and the just anarchy that occurs after that does nothing to help get our point across. I um I actually made the decision to show my kids some of what was going on, and then I showed them different perspectives. I turned on to uh, CNN News, then Fox News to see to let them see how people can try and dictate your thoughts. And I I did my best to teach them always go back to your Bibles because if you see this is the only thing that's consistent. These are people trying to shape how you think. And if you really pay attention, the things that are going on, they're disheartening, they're disturbing. However, we're told what the solution is, but no one wants to hear when you start talking about Christ. I've even seen people who I respect who are in ministry who were, they've just been so upset, they've given over to their flesh, and they're actually lending support to people who are looting. And I just think that's egregious, that that's just wrong on all kinds of levels. But I did my best to point people towards Christ and then use this as a teachable moment about what's going on in our world and how not to be rattled and, and just to do your best in that sense, if that makes any sense. No, it makes a lot of sense, man. And the reality is, is that uh, when you and I call people to a lamb's life, because that's the parallel, I can fully develop it and fully unpack it, the, uh, what, makes the re- what makes the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ makes sense to us is when you choose a lamb's life versus, if you will, a lion's life or a beast's life or a predator's life or um, the life of the beast in the book of Revelation. Jesus said it in Revelation chapter 13 around verse 8 or 9 or verse 10, the one that leads into captivity will go into captivity. The one that kills with the sword will also be killed with the sword. Here's the patience of the saints. And, and people mock when uh, when we press home that the solution to these problems is really going to be Jesus Christ. And it makes you feel like when you, when you are compelled to stand up in the midst of a storm like we are starting to develop. And I said it in my message yesterday uh, that this is not going to end. We are entering into a cycle of these kinds of patterns that will not stop for all sorts of reasons that I hope that we would be willing to learn from, including the church, uh, including folks who are more, more vulnerable in these matters, that the patterns that have been employed in the past are not going to work today the same way. Uh, And if we don't learn what's going on behind the scenes around this dialectical process of dividing people and creating insecurity and creating hatred and creating hostility, we're not going to we're not going to be able to facilitate an outcome that will that will lead us to freedom, lead us to restoration and lead us to reconciliation. We're all talking reconciliation. We're talking restoration. We're talking about um, uh, freedom, but we're not doing the things that really will amount to it. We're using the old playbook. And unfortunately, there's an enemy that has been able to employ that playbook for, uh, for hundreds of years to create a society that fundamentally ends up being a slave to anger and hostility and then smashed by the powers 
of government until their will is broken. And, and that's, uh, that's a sad reality, Jermaine. Let me ask you a question before I let you go. Did your daughters interact with you? Did the kids interact with you and engage you and say what they observed as you took them through an excursion of how different political entities address these kind of problems? Yeah, they actually did. I was actually encouraged. Sometimes the children have a clarity that adults have uh, forgotten about. And some of the stuff they could see right through and other things they had questions about, like, number one, how did they all just organize? And they caught on to something I had noticed. This has been – it's organized chaos. There's no way. Right. This just came up. This is systematic. And like you said, right. in the old playbook, we're watching, we're watching a playbook unfold, but – these are some of the same people that tried to say church wasn't essential. Well, now you, you get to see what these people who don't consider church essential in the streets acting out of character. This is what you get. So, yeah, they exactly. actually picked that up very well. Excellent. That's good, because that's the point that I really wanted to press on. I'll talk a little bit more about that dialectical process as I, as I have in the past and talk about how that there is a methodology that starts with propaganda. Propaganda is the way that people then are led into buying into arguments that um, produce a lack of objectivity and rationale, propaganda, 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 pro propaganda, and then chaos, 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 and that's where we are. And whenever chaos is the fruit of bad propaganda, the next step is what is called normalcy. Normalcy means that power comes down on top of it to crush it that creates even more difficulty, and that itself produces the uh, new normalcy that, um, that this system is really desiring to engage in. And the new normalcy in America, as it was in Europe, as it is in Russia, as it is in China, the new normalcy that is uh, on the agenda is to take away rights of American citizens because American citizens are not able to operate in this process of change with wisdom to be able to see where the problem lies. Listen, thank you for the call. I'll talk to you later, bro. Let me go to line number two and talk with Joanna from San Jose. Joanna, are you there? Hello? Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Um, I don't necessarily have a solution because I'm just wondering myself, but I actually had a couple of comments, if that was okay? Sure. Okay. So one of the comments I had was when there's protesting, when there's violent protesting out there like that, even if it's in the name of justice, so to speak, it seems to be more of a disservice to what um, the the protesting is about to begin with. I mean, like the original premise. African-Americans... We're supposed to, we want justice, but if we're out there looting or if there's other people out there looting, I would think that it would be a disservice to the black community, if anything, perpetuating the the racism that's so subtle in our society to begin with. Agreed. That was the first thing I observed, you know. And then another thing, I because of everything that's happening, I noticed that there seems to be this race, this division and it, and it seems to be political, and it's almost like, okay, if you're Christian, you're Republican. If you're Democrat, you're not Christian, that kind of thing. And it seems to be this dividing line. So right. I wonder if there's—I know that there's Christians that are maybe down the middle. Maybe they don't always agree with what the president says or that kind of thing. But then 
they can get so caught up in what you're seeing in TV. It makes it look like, oh, well, all the Christians are siding with Trump or all of the non-Christians are standing for equality, but all the Christians are, are standing for Republicans, and they don't see, they're not sensitive to the um, racial issue. So, I mean, how do we, how do we as Christians stand up and say we, we want racial equality? And obviously we want to do it in a peaceful way because that's, you know, evil, returning evil for evil is not going to do any good. I don't know if I'm making any sense. You're making total sense. sense. Uh, You're making total sense, uh, Joanna. And a a big part of the query or um, concern that you have is what I was stating earlier to Jermaine. And I guess I'm going to probably take up a show and and, uh, a program and deal with this because I I teach our church this and some of my people get it. Some don't because uh, because we don't really want to. And I'm, I'm going to share with you what I mean by by this. Like there is a strategy that has always been in operation within the framework of media and politics. It used to be talked about uh, long ago by, by by people who were much more candid, uh, Joanna, about the um, political uh, machine that deceptively works to move masses of people to get them in an uproar about different things in order to um, either uh, sway votes or to implement new policies. And uh, one of the terms was the, uh, the, the government media military complex uh, and then there would other, be other kind of institutions to the, the government uh, uh, banking uh, uh, complex or the uh, media uh, uh, banking complex. These are your large uh, mo- mogul institutions that have the ability to finance what gets spoken over the air because behind it is a political ideology. And when you note it, uh, Joanna, that uh, if the false narrative, and this is what I had said in my opening monologue, the false narrative of white versus black, that's a false narrative because we do not agree as Christians and even as logical people that the whole of America is white against black or black against white. It also destroys the the beauty of the larger uh, reality of our diversity in terms of who really is in America. It's not just a white-black issue. But that narrative gets uh, cut and pasted and repeated a thousand times, and it produces the uh, underlying tension that every time a white man looks at a black man or vice versa, or a white woman and a black uh, a, a black woman, that those intrinsic hostilities are there. I, I would have a whole lot to say about the uh, unprofitableness of recent uh recent theories around uh white privilege and 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 and, and, and uh, you know white fragility and, and 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 whiteness that whole narrative has already been proven by very clear uh political anal- uh analysts to not actually work in politics it's one of the leftist leftist me- uh methods of uh trying to explain what's going on in our country as a consequence of the travesties of slavery and things like that. Totally understandable. But it doesn't work to actually bring about solutions or healing. We don't heal by merely exposing and calling people to their past travesties and their past injustices and maybe their blindnesses to it. We don't heal 
for one, because there's no redemptive solution to simply opening a womb. And we don't heal uh, uh, in situations where present evils and travesties that take place that still fall within the category of conflicts between whites and blacks or whites and, and, and folks of color, and then we just draw back on those same old narratives. There's a lot to be said about it. We actually do have to have a, uh, a healthy and a very vigorous uh, solution-oriented uh, dialogue Otherwise, because of the basic pathology of human nature, what we simply do is end up collapsing into one side versus the other. And as you stated, it is a complete false narrative to assume that Christians are on Trump's side and non-Christians are on Biden's side or blacks should be on Biden's side and not on Trump's side. I fight against that all the time and sometimes it's a futile fight, but it's unfair to the gospel. It's unfair to the centrality of the word of God and the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the solution that's in Christ for people to find themselves fictitiously put on one side or the other. Uh, and that is part of a system to create division and create perpetual hostility and resulting in deconstruction of our society as you see it right now. It's an old communist socialist methodology of propaganda creating chaos, resulting in conflict that gets normalized by, uh, by military or, or civil law enforcement crashing down on society. And this cycle gets repeated over and over and over again, and we never make any real advancements in our world. We are moving into that kind of paradigm. We are losing our rights. We are pressing deeper into a tragic, godless socialism that is not going to be uh, pro profitable for any of us. And this has nothing to do with color. This has to do with worldviews and ideologies that are designed to destroy the freedoms of, of human beings. Listen, your, your observations were well-founded. Uh, is this the first time you've given us a call? Um, I may have called before, but um, yeah, this is the first time. I mean watching everything that's been happening and stuff, it was just, I, I felt like I wanted to put that out there. And especially as a Christian, I feel like just the political turmoil, the diverse, the, the divisiveness yes. is going to send the wrong message about yep. Christians. Like if you saw the news today, Trump, when he was, um, I guess when the protesters in Washington, D.C., they were like being dispersed with the tear gas and they weren't violent and that. And then he goes and he's, holding up the Bible, and it was like, I'm feeling like that's going to actually be a, a detriment to Christians. People are going to look at that, and they're going to go, oh, well, all Christians seem to think this way, and it may even be more of a detriment when in reality there's Christians that stand for injustice, and they do yep. so peacefully, if yep. that makes any sense. You know? No, you're absolutely right. But what what's required that is not taking place that I, I hear, and, and as Jermaine said, it even from pastors all the way down, they still fall prey to what I call the first of four tiers of a socialist system of transformation, and it's called propaganda. The first of four tiers of a socialist system of, of transformation. It's a communist method for, for transforming cultures. You create a propaganda narrative that you don't successfully dissect and bring clarity to, and then people just out of a knee-jerk reaction buy into a set of assumptions. Like you and I would know 
that President Trump does not represent Christianity. Neither did Barack Obama. Neither neither did George Bush. Neither did Bill Clinton. Now, I can go on and on. I'm on record for 12 years explaining the deceptive nature of our politicians using the Bible to try to sway particular opinion. You and I know better. Uh, in the in the in the in the uh, narrative on the ground where you and I are and where people are in general, the problem is is that we haven't understood the deficiencies in the mode of dialogue that's taking place that continue to keep people divided. It's a sad reality. Blacks and whites are being perpetually divided when they don't take on a radical biblical mode of thinking, a radical Christocentric mode of addressing issues. You are completely right, Joanna. We can be uh, we can be angry, we can be upset, we can be concerned, we can be active about injustice, injustice, but we can't enter into the playbook that's already provided for us that continues to, to divide us. Because on either side of the political spectrum, you got believers. And for believers to be hostile towards other believers on a political premise is what I would call spiritual idolatry. It is a travesty of the gospel for believers to be on either side of that narrative. Then the enemy wins. Listen, thank you for calling, and I hope you continue to listen. Got to take a break. Travis, you hold on. James, you hold on. We're going to continue pressing into this. Don't get trapped in the dialectical process. Don't get trapped. Make sure your narrative transcends the limitations of the present narrative that has no real solution to it in our country. This is why it's getting worse. If our present narrative had solutions to it, we would be getting better. We're getting worse. Because our present narrative has no solution. And real sincere believers like Joanna are wondering, you know, how can, how can the word of God play a significant role in this conversation and dialogue? Well, the Christian ought to have a word from God for this kind of thing. I'll be right back. 